Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. <clears throat> We're studying a book like we do in, uh, we have been with Matthew, we've done many other books. I determined 10 years ago that that's all I'm going to just go through and preach books of the Bible, just go through them one after the other. And I, I won't get through, certainly won't get through the books of the Bible by the time I'm done. <laughs> and um, that's getting close. I was looking back in the records and in 1980 I started preaching through Matthew, not for this occasion. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 1980 and that took four years, 1983 I finished through that we did and then this time I was saying when did I start preaching at this time it was 2014 and so first time it took four years the second time it takes six years and just as well as not another time because <laughs> it might take 12 <laughs> but you just learn so much more of how it interrelates with Old Testament other New Testament and it's encouraging to see that <clears throat> and in the book of Matthew it is presenting the, the Lord Jesus as the king that's what it's about. And, and it really started off on the wrong foot with King Herod, didn't it? <laughs> when the Magi come from over there in the east and came down and said, there's a, there's a king being born. And uh, he being fanatical as he was and crazy about keeping, keeping his leadership there, said, let's hunt this king down. Let's, you come back and tell me about that, where he was born and, and where he is. And his intent was to murder him. As we see that he murdered all those two years, all the boys, two years and under in Bethlehem. And there was weeping and lamentation, lamentation there, that crying for them that had been killed. And it's said that in the Old Testament would happen. So the king, we saw the king's revelation. He was revealed to, to them in Matthew 1 through to Matthew 9, right through those chapters. And this is the main, the big heading, and the subheadings under that. There's parts, the sections, and then we've just been dealing with the subsections of all that. So the king's revelation, chapter 1 through the end of chapter 9. The king is resisted then in chapter 10 to chapter 16, the middle of chapter 16. The resistance is building as he's preaching the word and telling what he's about and what he's doing. And the religious people are constantly coming up against him and denying him in his ministry and who his, what his claims were. Then the king's rejection, and that's chapter 16 in the middle of it to, from verse 13 to chapter 27 and the end of it that we finished just the other week. So the king's rejection, and he's crucified. And now we get to chapter 28 and we look at the king's resurrection. And in, it's just one, one chapter, and in this chapter we see the great consolation for his servants in verses 1 to 10. We'll look at part of that tonight. Uh, the great cover-up by the Sanhedrin, verses 11 to 15, and the great commission to the saints in verses 16 to 20. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord that we can discern and decipher and understand and receive much application from. Lord, it's not just a book of black and white words. It's a book that is living and it's powerful and it affects our lives. It shows us how we should then live in a wicked world. And Lord, thank you for all the examples. We thank you for your son's example to us and his sacrifice for us and his resurrection that we might have eternal life and be raised with that same power. 
Lord, we thank you for these things. Bless the word to us tonight. Thank you for the testimony of the young people and may abiding results be in their lives and the leaders' lives and those that commit themselves this past week, this coming week, to the service of the Lord and to the ministry of young people. Thank you for the young people we have coming here. I pray that you'd continue to bless us with those people, that we might be encouragement to them and that the elderly would be uh, teaching the younger ones how to live the Christian life. By example, thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the king's resurrection, the great consolation for his servants. In verses 1 to 10, we read, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white like as snow. And for fear of him did the keepers did shake and become as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not. They don't become as dead women, did they? Isn't it interesting (laughs) when you believe the Lord? But here the men... The, the tough guys <laughs> flaked out first. <laughs> Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus who was crucified. <clears throat> he is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. We could say today, go see the place <laughs> where the Lord lay <laughs> when you visit Israel. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring the disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. The story here does not end with gloomy darkness, does it? (laughs) It doesn't end with the tomb, but with a glorious day of light at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our story, our gospel, that which we give of the death, the burial, and the resurrection ends with the resurrection and that is a great blessing and sends light to the soul gives us light to to live by and gives us hope for the world to come we see the attendance at the tomb of these ladies that went there as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week this has got significance just these phrases here some have tried to change the words in this verse in verse 1 of chapter 10 to say (coughs) where it says in the end of the sabbath to they try to change it to late on the sabbath no no (laughs) god is changing the order of things here (coughs) judaism was finished the jewish sabbath was rendered obsolete by the lord's resurrection Matthew is declaring to his Jewish Christian audience, the Israel of God, as Galatians 6.16 calls them, saved Jews, in other words, the Sabbath, it is finished. 
It is finished. This was something given particularly to the nation of Israel. I know it is included in the Ten Commandments back in Exodus 20. But it's specifically given, as it says in the Old Testament, to the Jewish nation. So in the end of the Sabbath, that was it. Sabbath finished in the end of the Sabbath. Now, yes, I know the day, it was the day, the finishing of the day of the Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. And, and then if you can get your head around, the Jews' day didn't finish at midnight and finished at sundown the day before and try to fit that in to the resurrection. You, you can do that on your own thinking, but, <laughs> but <clears throat> the end of the Sabbath... It was on the Sabbath day that the Lord of life and glory, the incarnate creator of the universe, Lord of the Sabbath, lay silent and still in death. He rested, as it were, on the Sabbath, did he not, in the grave. The Sabbath was rooted and grounded in a law that could not save, a law that at best was a schoolmaster, and I didn't quote that, I had it in the morning service, but in Galatians 3, 24, at 25 this morning it's a schoolmaster to bring people unto Christ he lay still and silent on that day so it was on the Sabbath that's where the Lord of life was now we know what other things were happening during that time as given in Peter in the book of Ephesians but in creation God rested on the seventh day Genesis 2 verses 1 and 2 and we read that in Genesis there in Revelation God set apart the seventh day for his people's rest in Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. In resurrection, all that is changed. Thus the Lord Jesus replied to his critics who accused him of breaking the Sabbath. He said, my father worketh and I work. That's what he said when he was challenged about the Sabbath in John 5, 17. My father worketh and I work. Isn't it right to do right on the Sabbath? Even though the law said don't do anything on the Sabbath. They had all, they had added so much. They could only take so many steps and do, do so many things without breaking the Sabbath. Aren't, aren't you glad that's not on today? Yeah. Hey, how could any of us get to church? We couldn't, we'd have to all live real close. <laughs> that because it wouldn't, or, or come in the night before and just sleep on the oval. <laughs> But, praise God, that's all done with. These things, in resurrection, all this has changed. In the Old Testament, God rested on a day, didn't he? And God's rest was in a day. That is, in the Old Testament, as he worked to create, he rested the seventh day. God's rest was in a day. But in his Sabbath rest was, bro- but his Sabbath rest was broken by the entrance of sin. Now the rest is in a person, not in a day. And if you read through Hebrews chapter 3 and into chapter 4 there, he, the, the writer is trying to instruct the people that our rest is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our rest is in his salvation. Our eternal rest rests on him. It's in a person, not in keeping a day anymore. And I like what Colossians says there that, you know, you observe days and months and times and years. And he's talking about all the Jewish organization. of Everything was set down in order. You know, we people like probably to live that way. We like to have a law. Well, what should I do today? 
God doesn't want that. He wants, he wants us to surrender from the heart to do it because we love him and what he's done for us. It's not because of a day or a law or something written down. We, we believe and trust him and serve him every day, all the time, any time. And our rest is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation rest, our service rest, and our eternal rest. And that you can be take, taken from Hebrews 3 and Five, I mean four, the Lord Jesus Christ. He spelt the end of the Sabbath and all that it represented. He fulfilled the law, did he not? All the types that you could spend a lifetime preaching from Leviticus and Exodus about the types. <laughs> yep, they're all in there. The tabernacle, the tabernacle, the gold, the colours, the, the cloths, the, the boards, the the wood, even the, coming down to the wood, it all pictures who? A person. And now it's all fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that was pointing to the Lord. We look back to the Lord and we live in him, in liberty, as Galatians tells us. So um, <clears throat> so in the end, it was only not only the end of the Sabbath, verse 1 of chapter 28, we also read in the beginning to or in, it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. With spiritual insight here, the infant church turned away from the Sabbath as a day of rest to the first day of the week as the day of worship, as it began to dawn. And so this has got meaning more than just reading it as per a story. In the end of the Sabbath... Oh, yeah, that's finished. Yeah, it began today. Oh, another day. No, it, 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 it's the end of a whole system. And it's a new day dawning, a new dispensation, a new way of approaching the Lord Jesus. Um, when Juma said about killing the cow, he, mm, he goes like that. And then he goes like that. So there was a bullet and, and, and the knife. And they're dividing it up into five. And, I don't know. They've got some meat. But um, <clears throat> aren't you glad you don't have to do that? I thought in the, in the abattoirs that we have today, if you've been around one and all the things that they do there, it's probably not a, a happy place to visit, but <laughs> you, you go to the tabernacle. You go to the temple. And they were doing this all day, every day, all the time. And in a hot place like here, or, <clears throat> hey, those little flies... It's not just Australians wave, <laughs> Israelis, you go over there. And we were in McDonald's and they didn't have any fly thing and it was, they were everywhere, you know. <laughs> trying to, they would have had those flies while they're trying to do all that sacrificing. And all the time this was reminding them of death, <laughs> reminding them of their sin. And <clears throat> to draw... To draw nigh to God, you had to offer everyone according to his means. You know, a dove for a poor person, and up it went to a, a bullock for a, for a person that could afford that, or sheep, or goats, and things that were offered. This was all done away. We don't have to do that today. All that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The, these sacrifices and all that it cost them to do them, and some days there were thousands of animals slain at that place. So the blood would have been running out of the temple 
and there was a, actually a trench for it to run in, out down into the Kidron, down to the sermon that my brother preached. That's where it was running to, literally running out. Today, nothing is wasted, but in those days, I let it run out. They, <clears throat> some of it was caught and sprinkled at certain places on horns of things. And then I thought, the mercy seat. The high priest went in there once a year, didn't he? For, and, and he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. Never says that they cleaned it. So every year they go back in and sprinkle more on. Now, yeah, it, gets, it would set hard and that, but it would have looked dirty. Can I say that? You know, but this is the place. That's what God ordained. And all these things were done away with in Christ. He fulfilled them all. <clears throat> glad, these, these women were glad that they attended this day because, and, and when they attended. And I'm glad they did because we have this verse to tell about these things. And the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and other Mary to see the sepulchre. <clears throat> the end of the Sabbath. As a day of worship, it's so true. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 20 and verse 7. Acts 20 and verse 7. <clears throat> the blood of bulls and goats in the book of Ephesians can never take away sins. So all those sins in the Old Testament were taken away. They were covered by those offerings. But when Jesus came, the perfect Lamb of God, his blood took away sin. We sing this power in the blood. We read that in the scripture. So true. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we read, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And you can read the story about the chap there, because Paul was a long preacher. It says in verse 9, he was long preaching. Not a long preacher, he was long preaching. So, the first, what day were they meeting on? The first day of the week. And this is what they were doing. And historically, we can go back and check out with the, the few records that there are that they met on the Sunday not on the Sabbath. It's a new beginning. It's a new thing. It's something that was hidden in ages past, as Paul said in Ephesians, Ephesians, but is now revealed unto his holy and apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God that the church had begun. It was a new way and it was a new thing. It was the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was his building, his body, as it's mentioned again in Ephesians and Colossians. And chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. So upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. Remember the ta at the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians now, chapter 16 and verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. This is the way to do this. And taking offerings upon the first day of the week. And to a Jew, the first day of the week was... Sunday, in the first day of the week, <laughs> over there is Sunday. So what are the Jews doing on Sunday? What do you do on Monday? <laughs> They're all going to work. It's just a busy day. It's like every other day of the week here. Uh, we get it, 
you, you, until you get there, you, there's a bit of a culture shock and say, oh, wait a minute, what are you all doing running around here Sunday? No, the weekend's over. <laughs> and they've had their weekend, this Saturday, and they're into it on Sunday working. The factories all start up and you travel around Saturday, you, you can't find many people. They're, they're scarce on the streets. <clears throat> Things are all quiet. So upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by in store. So they'd met and they, he's telling them, when you meet on that day, take an offering up for the saints. As God has prospered, let there be no gatherings when I come. <clears throat> so uncluttered with mosaic prohibitions and rabbinical rules, the first day was observed in commemoration of the consummation of our redemption, Christ, conquest, over death. He was raised on the first day of the week. And when you think of that, <clears throat> Saturday to the Jew finished sundown Saturday. <laughs> so during the night, and he, he was raised at that time, four days, four nights, as Jonah was in the heart of the earth. Now, what sort of harp did these ladies come to the tomb with? How did they come and approach the sepulchre that day? What would have been their heart been? What would have your heart been? He was the one that healed you. He's the one that cast out demons from you. He's the one that you broke an alabaster box over. And he's in the grave. It would have been a very despondent sort of, oh, you know, you don't go to a grave happy. Because you're going to visit and mourn. So it would have been mournful, a sad occasion, grief-stricken. They weren't expecting what they, they got that day when they turned up through the tomb. <clears throat> what didn't they realise nor contemplate? That a tremendous change had happened. The new economy, the church was about to start soon and the basis of it was founded on the death, the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Remember what the two on Emmaus Road said <clears throat> when Jesus was talking to them and Jesus said, you know, what things have happened in Jerusalem? Don't they said to the Lord, haven't you heard about the things that happened? And that they were very, the, the, the one that we had pinned all our hopes on, the Lord Jesus, who had raised the dead. He'd done many wonderful work. They're talking to the Lord and saying this. They were mournful. They, their, their heads were hanging down. They were, they were so upset and so despondent that they, it's all over. We had aspirations that this person was going to become the king. And he's dead. He's in a grave. These ladies come to the tomb with sweet spices to, to put on the Lord's body. They weren't expecting resurrection. <clears throat> and that, that, was the, that was the mood. Where were the disciples? They were in hiding. They'd run away. So all their hopes and aspirations had been dashed a few days earlier and now they were coming to, this, to, the, to find this body in the tomb. But contrary to all their sad expectations, they didn't see a sepulchre, but they saw a saviour, didn't they? A living saviour. He wasn't dead anymore. Notice the angel at the tomb. We go back and behold, there was a great earthquake for the... For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him did the keepers shake and become as dead men. 
And so we see the angel at the turn right down to verse 8. We see his radiance. The ground convulsed, as we say, as we would say when an earthquake happened. And some, what sort of earthquake was this? It said it was a great earthquake, a great earthquake. Hey, when was the last earthquake in Jerusalem around this time? When Jesus died. How long ago was that? We're looking at time frame here. Just a few days ago, there was, a, there was an earthquake. If you go to chapter 27 and verse 51, just back a chapter, and you find there, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks were rent just a few days ago. And here's another earthquake, a great earthquake. <coughs> we might say... That the first one in chapter 27, 51, it shook in pain of his death. And here, it shook in pleasure of his resurrection. The earth did quake and the rocks were rent. Things were replying to what was happening in the spiritual realm. And the Lord, there's no mistake when, when these, these sort of things happen. And I think of this the same today. When God does something in this world, people say, a natural disaster. But Christians say, God is on the move. <laughs> when these things happen, we need to say, well, God has got a plan and a purpose. And it's, it's rolling on and moving forward and he will fulfill it. And, and so with the earthquakes, let's, let's look at the big one. They, they talk about the big one coming to which side of America? Is the east coast? West coast. The big one. Is that what town's on that colour? I haven't been there, so I don't know. San Andreas Fault. And what big town? San Francisco, San Francisco and Los Angeles. I, yeah. And they say things are really good. When the big one happens, well... Let's show them when the big one's going to happen. Chapter 16. And it's not just the west coast of America. It's not a, in a stable place like Australia. It's not supposed to happen here. It wasn't supposed to happen in Newcastle there some decades ago, but it did happen in Revelation 16 and verse 18. The Lord is moving and they are all timed to happen at the time that God wants them for the nations around the world. And, and there's one going to happen before this big one in Jerusalem. And I was just looking at them this afternoon, actually, some more of them. And I got eight of them from Old Testament portions that haven't happened yet. And it talks about earthquakes. <laughs> and we read there in verse 18 of chapter 16. And there was voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And this great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came into remembrance before God, and to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away. There's some going to just sink out of existence. And the mountains, 
And by the way, Australia has been said to be an island. And the, and the mountains were not found. <clears throat> Who likes going up to Mount Buffalo? I did before the fires back some 10 years ago. It was a nice place to visit. And the last time I went there, there's all these guards where you're supposed to go through and pay money and there's no one there. It's become like a ghost town, yeah. It is the and, and it's under threat again now. But through the fires that happened there, and these things, that's going to be levelled flat. Look at what it says. So islands fled away, the mountains were not found, and there <laughs> fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, and every stone was about the weight of a talent. But there is a great earthquake in, in which the cities of the world are going to fall, going to be rattled loose. And the, the islands are going to be moved out of their place. And scientists try to connect everything up together and somehow the animals got here from Noah's Ark. They had to have a land bridge or something to get here by. They were connected. And now they're disconnected and they've been isolated down here. That's why countries have different sorts of animals. Read about in that in the creation magazines. But here is the, the, resu the resurrection. There is a great earthquake and there's greater ones to come. The rocks were crying out. The ground convulsed. The grave was conquered. In the last part of verse 2, and for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Did this beaming, radiant angel come to let Christ out of the tomb? Is that why the, roll, the stone was rolled away? No. Did he, did he need to have the stone rolled away to come out of the tomb? No. It, it, just a bit later on, he appeared in a room without the door being opened. It says that. He was already out. Then why was the stone rolled away? To show us it's empty. It's empty. To show the world that it's empty. There's no one in there. He's gone. Uh, I remember learning this verse in one for uh, testimony. I was uh, uh, Carl Barton that was teaching in the college. And there was a, book, a little red book. We had to memorize all the scripture verses. And this was one of them. He is not here, verse 6. For he is risen. As they said, come see the place where the Lord lay. That's why the, the stone was rolled away. Come see the evidence. He is not here. <clears throat> Could anyone or anything hold the Lord back or down? No. Not the Caesar. Not the Sanhedrin. <laughs> Neither Rome nor the rock could hold him in. Neither the prince nor the priest could stop him from coming forward. They did all they could. The last chapter, go make the place sure. You've got to watch, go seal it up as best you can. They did. And he broke all these things. He didn't need to come out of it. He came through it. But they rolled the stone. It was rolled away here. The angel so that people could see. <clears throat> and it was not going to be rolled back. He is risen. Now the guards were confounded. By the angel that come, his countenance was like the lightning and his raiment white as snow. Have you heard that sort of reference in scripture before? And we need to be careful about, oh, that reads like that. Therefore, this portion over in another book reads like that. That must be the same event, the same person. And it's not. Like you go to Revelation chapter 1 and John turned to see the voice that spoke with him and he saw the Lord Jesus. 
This is an angel. It's not the Lord Jesus. And we need to be careful about assuming because it speaks similar words, it's not the same event. And, <clears throat> and, and sort that out. Oh, I've done it just a week ago <laughs> to sort that out. So the resplendent glory. Turn to Daniel chapter 10 and verses 5 to 9. Then lifted up mine eyes, in verse 5 of 10, and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girt with fine gold of upas, and his body was like the beryl, and his face like the appearance of lightning, and his, his eyes like lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet in colour like polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, saw alone in the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon me, so that they fled to hide themselves. Go down to verse 13. And this is the same individual speaking, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, an angel, as we know and you read it in context, came to help me, came to help me and to and remain I remained there with the kings of Persia as you read verses 5 to 6 you think that's the same person that's talked about in Revelation 1 but as you read verse 13 this is an angel and so the the brightness of the angel let alone the Lord Jesus John saw the Lord Jesus in that when he turned to see the voice that spoke with him we know that from what is said in the in the context but here is an angel, bright and shining. You know what? What does it say in Scripture about angels and Christians and the relationship in the next life? Christians will judge angels. So, wow. <laughs> now, how do you figure that when these beings are so... Now, now the judgment might be on those fallen angels, but... We have a wonderful future awaiting us. We see the resplendence of the angel in verse 3 and the reeling of the guards in verse 4. We've got to finish here because I'd like to get to verse 10. We're not going to. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. <laughs> if tough men like Roman soldiers do quake before an angel, what are they going to do when they meet the Lord of glory? What are men going to do? Tough men. Men of war. Men of nations. Men who lead these, these nations when they come before the Lord. What are those sinners who have flung abuse at the Lord throughout their life going to be like when they meet the Lord of glory? Well, in Revelation 6 verse 15, it tells us about some people that meet the Lord. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man. This covers everybody. <laughs> Hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Folks, when we meet with God in the in the final judgment, when unsaved people, and I say that particularly because that's what it's referring to here, meet with God, no matter how great and powerful 
And no matter what armies they led, when they meet God, they're going to shake in their boots. That's what it says. These, these become, they shook and they become as dead men. Let's get the reality of what God is like. You know, Christians, we don't fear the Lord. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins have been paid for. We don't have to shake in our boots, but we do, we do need to have reverence. We need to have that respect for the Lord. And that in his service, you know, he's, he's not, and I, don't, I say this very sparingly, I hear people say it, the man upstairs. We don't refer to God as such. That's very irreverent and disrespectful. And so be careful of the words you use for the Lord. He, <clears throat> I, just, just, being, just saying Jesus, yes, it was used in that way, but the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, that's who he is to us, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Let's be respectful for, to him. The reeling of these guards, these tough people, <laughs> and they're shaking in their boots. And would to God that men would shake in respect and reverence, in fear and trembling before the Lord and come to him in salvation. There are those that tremble before him. There's another one we could look at. It's shaking and trembling. Similar. <clears throat> that we need to come before him and say, Lord, you are great. You are awesome. You are wonderful. You're mighty and powerful. Thank you for being my saviour. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for filling all <clears throat> the rules and regulations of the Old Testament and that we might have liberty in salvation. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word. <clears throat> Bless it to our hearts as we go our way. Might we show the respect and reverence, but also know that you are on our side. <laughs> and, Lord, we notice the ladies didn't faint and become as dead women, but the men, unsaved men, did. These were believing women, men you had, women you had ministered to and who had ministered to you in your life. And Lord, we may have that same love and respect and fall down as they did before you and worship you. Lord, you desire worship before work in our life. You want us to have that in that order too. May we worship you and then work for you and labour in your service. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.